Welcome to the Friendship Missionary Baptist Church podcast of Vallejo, California. I'm so glad that you are tuned in to Friendship Missionary Baptist Church, where we know we are the place to be. Our pastor is Justin Lester, and we're so grateful that you've tuned in to hear the word of God today. The word you're going to hear today is going to enliven you, to stretch you, to be all that God's called you to be. We believe that God has called us as Christ-led liberators to love Jesus, to heal people, to serve Vallejo, and to build community. You are in tune for a life-changing word from God today. If you want to learn more about FNBC, go to BEFNBC.org. You can give there. You can grab more information about the church and see what it means and the plan of salvation to be a part of FNBC. Now, with all that out of the way, let's just jump into the word of God and see what God has to say to us today. Uh, slogans without meaning are meaningless. And every slogan has a scripture, something to back it up. And so I want to give some light to those slogans. And one of those slogans I'm wearing it on my shirt today, um, one of our main slogans we've said over and over, I want to give some flesh to what that means and why it's so impactful, why it's so meaningful, why it's so important for us here at the church. And that's the slogan, we are that church. Can somebody just re- repeat after me? Someone say, we are... We are that church in the comment section all of you online so we got like 60 people on youtube like 30 or 40 people on facebook every person online come on can y'all comment we are that church come on every person online we are that church come on flood the comment section we are that church let me give some meat to this when I transitioned to Vallejo last year, I started meeting people, and I, I love when people tell you their stories, and you begin to hear people's story. And as, as, I, as we get here, and we grab a hold of focus and direction, because without direction, there's no destination, but you need focus on the des- you need focus on the journey to get to the destination. Habakkuk says that vision is for an appointed time. In the end, it will speak and not lie. Pause. Deacon Wimberly, good to see you, man. Good to see you, man. God bless you, man. Good to see you. God bless you, man. God bless you. Um, so vision is for an appointed time, and in this will speak and not lie. One of the things about vision is, is vision, according to the gospel writer Luke, is a glimpse of heaven, right? Vision is a future picture of what is going to happen when it's given by God. Now, in your flesh, when you're walking in your flesh, it will not happen. When you're walking in the kingdom with vision that's given from heaven— is going to happen. And so when I first, and so one of the things then, when we fight vision, you're not fighting me, you're fighting heaven. Like I really want to put this in perspective. When God has given vision to, to, to God's church, you're not fighting the pastor, you're fighting what God has said. So for example, last February, the Lord shared with me before I even came here, it, once we were coming together, we're elected, we're coming as a unified group of pastor and people, the Lord showed me what would be called Friendship Village and the different buildings on the properties and all the things that God was doing. I literally walked through the entire new sanctuary. I want to be clear, Justin R. Lester does not want to do a capital campaign and a building project. Buildings kill pastors. I want to be really clear. I have enough gray hair. I don't want to do this. But the Lord said, this is what it's going to look like. So as we work together, it's not that it's something Justin wants to do. Justin does not want to go through a capital campaign to ask people for money. Justin does not want more gray hair than I already have. I'm 35, looking like I'm 40. Like, I don't like this. I, I turned 40 in five years. Like, I don't, I don't want this. But the Lord said, this is what our sanctuary is going to look like. This is what a family fund center is going to look like. This is what children in Vallejo need even before we arrived here in Vallejo. That's where vision comes to pass. Being that church is trusting the vision and the mission of the word of God. So vision is the picture of the future. Mission is how you get there. And values are the pillars you stand on in the journey. I'm going to say it again. Vision is a picture of the future. Mission is how you get there. And values are what you stand on to get there. The mission of the church is never going to change. Any church that does not have a mission in line with Matthew 28 is not a church. I'm going to say it again. Any church that does not have a mission that is on Matthew 28, go therefore, reach to teach, teach to keep, and create a cycle to do it. Because if a church gets comfortable with not making disciples, you are no longer a church. I'm going to say it again. If all you want is saved people in this church, you're no longer a church. We're a social club. 
the church has to get comfortable to desire to make disciples. Matthew 28, and anytime the church does not want unsaved people, we become a social club. And I'm going to tell you what God's going to do. God will wipe that church out. We get jealous of other churches because they're expanding and growing. I'm going to tell you why they're expanding and growing. They want unsaved people. I could care less about emptying somebody else's church. I don't rejoice when a pastor falls, their church falls apart, and they come over here. That's not something to rejoice about. What we ought to be rejoicing about is restoring and forgiving and reconciling that leader, restoring and forgiving among those church members. Oh, I'm pastoring today. Restoring and reconciling those members so that the body of Christ grows. Satan gets excited when a church falls apart because it keeps the unsaved from going there. Okay, so as I got here, as I got here last year, and I've been literally sitting on my back all week, so I got something to say today. As I got here last year, I was having conversations with different ministry leaders and pastors, and people were telling me about friendship story, and I'm like, I don't care to know what happened prior to April 1st of 2023, because all I know is God did not call me to the last 74. He called me to what God is doing in the next. So you can remind me about friendships past. I could care less because I'm excited about friendship's future. Don't you hate when people judge you based upon a story they weren't a part of? And so I got here, and they began to tell me things, and were, people began to say this, and one pastor said this, and I don't talk to them anymore, which is why, if you guys haven't noticed, I'm very particular about who gets behind this desk. I'm very particular about what desk I get behind as well, because every desk you get behind is not a, di is not a pit, it's not a pulpit. Some desks you get behind are pits to get behind. Anyway, I, I was talking to this pastor, and this pastor said, you pastor that church. And I never forget, I told you guys this story last year, you pastor that church. I'm sitting here like, what are you talking about? You pastor that church. I know about friend. I know all about friendship. But yeah, I said, yeah, because you applied to friendship and you didn't get it. But I, you, I know all. I ain't scared of none of y'all watching online too, right? You, you pastor that church? And I sat back, I called my wife, and I told her, I said, man, this is full of weird. And she said, what? I said, this dude, she said, yes, Justin, that church that God has favored, that church that God smiles on, that church that God sees, that church that baptizes people, that church has been around for 75 years, that church that God sees to fit blessed with children, that church that has seniors coming in each and every week to do great work, that church with adaptable people, that church that continues to give. So I'm excited to pastor that church. I'm excited to be a part of that church. I'm excited to be a part of a church that frustrates hell. And so what does that mean? Well, it's, it's, it's in scripture. As we sit on the brink of celebrating 75 years and anticipating the next 75 years, Paul's response when he saw the same thing in the church at Ephesus was to do one thing. And we see that in Ephesians chapter 3, beginning at verse number 14. Grab your Bibles, Ephesians 3, verse number 14. Paul's response to a fatness mentality was Ephesians 3, verse 14 through 21. And look what Paul did. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, for whom every family on heaven and earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches... He may strengthen you with power through your spirit and your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love, underline that whole statement. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love, not growing just in love, but rooted in love, established in love. Here's what happens there. You will have the power together with the Lord's holy people Understand how wide, how long, how deep is the love of Christ. And to know that that love surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. So now unto him, who is able to do immeasurably more than we can ask, think, or imagine, according to the power that's at work within us. Somebody touch yourself and say, in me. Someone tell, touch yourself and say, in me. Y'all missed it. I'm going to read it again. Now unto him. Because we are rooted and established in love, power together with the Lord's holy people, now unto him who's able to do immeasurably more than you can ask, think, or imagine according to his power that's at work. Somebody touch yourself and say, in me, to him. Here's our verse. Be the glory in the church 
and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Lord, do your best work and make preaching easy in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated even in the presence of the Lord. We, we preached through Ephesians last year uh, to give you a quick backup and summation of the book of Ephesians. We believe Paul wrote the book of Ephesians while he was in a Roman prison cell when he writes this in tandem, some scholars suggest, with Galatians, Philippians, and Colossians. And that's why if you look at the principles behind those books, they're very similar, grace, purpose, love, worth. But everything Paul does in all of those books shows us that you can, ha- you can give grace but grace in Christ is different. You can have purpose, but purpose in Christ is different. You can show love, but love in Christ is different. And Paul writes to these churches, some, he visited some months before, and what they would do is they would gather in the center of the community, and one person, one of his scribes would come and read the entirety of this letter, because they didn't have version and printed Bibles. They would just read the entirety of this letter together, and what Paul is trying to show them in this book, in the entirety of the book of Ephesians, is that everything you need is in Christ, I'm going to say this again because I really want us to grab this. Everything you need is in Christ. And Paul spends his whole letter to tell them, you have access to everything you need because in Christ is everything you need. If we grab a hold of this, you'll, you'll, you'll stop stressing out over foolishness. If you grab a hold of this, people won't stress you out as much as you think they stress you out because everything you need is not in your boss. It's in Christ. Everything you need is not in a preacher. It's in Christ. Everything you need is not in a government. It's in Christ. Everything you need is not in a president. It's in Christ. Everything you need is not in what your job gives you. It's in Christ. Your paycheck is not bigger than Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ does not bow at the whims of Western capitalism. Everything you need is in Christ. And so Paul in Ephesians 2 says that the God then, because it's in Christ, who is rich in mercy, Paul says, made us alive in Christ. That even with our sin, he covered us in grace so that while we were dead in our trespasses, Christ made, I wish I had a witness in this Presbyterian church, Christ made us alive in the Lord Jesus Christ. That you are accepted not because you deserve to be accepted, but the dirtiest thing you did cleaned you up enough that while you were dead, Christ made you alive. See, now we can shout about that last Sunday. We shouted about being alive in Christ on Easter, and that's fun to shout on Easter. But here we are the Sunday after Easter, and I'm going to give you the same truth. The same resurrection power that Jesus had on Easter works the Sunday after Easter. And here's why we're here every Sunday. While we were dead in our trespasses, Christ, I wish I had a witness here, made you alive. And so when you own that truth, can't nobody stress you out. When you own that truth, can't nothing put you down. Because while I was dead, Christ came and made me alive. Here's what that infers. I chose death. Christ came and said, you can't have that. God, I wish I had a witness. That when I chose to die, Christ made, God, hallelujah, made me alive. And so Paul says, because of that grace, because of that power, Paul begins to deconstruct and reconstruct a mindset. Because he says the issue is not what Christ does. The issue is we don't have the mindset to trust what Jesus does. Okay, Jesus gives grace. We disqualify ourselves from grace all the time. Jesus gives mercy. We disqualify ourselves from mercy. When we need mercy, we find mercy. But when you think you don't need it, you put yourself above mercy. And Paul comes along and says, let's deconstruct that mindset. Let's deconstruct your insecurity. Let's deconstruct your anxiety. Let's deconstruct your your depression. Let's deconstruct it and reconstruct it at the foot of the cross. Here's what Paul is doing. He's doing what James Cone called remembering, remembering 
hyphen memory. I want you to take your life and remember it at the foot of the cross. Because if, hallelujah, if a lot of us were to take our lives and rebuild it at the cross, you'd stop tearing yourself down. If you were to take your words and remember it at the cross, you'd stop tearing other people down. If you were to take your church and remember it at the cross, you'd be excited to come to church on Sunday morning. If you remember your faith, you wouldn't need a praise and worship team to tell you to stand. You came in here ready to praise God because watch this. The pray I'm going to just say this. The praise team does not lead you into worship. The praise team gives you framework because you've been worshiping all week long. And the reason why worship gets so stagnant is because this is the first time you're remembering the goodness of God. But I want to challenge some people in the building. I don't need no music to give God glory when I think of the goodness of Jesus and all he's done for me. I'll shout in Costco. I'll tear up the aisle in Target. I'll tear up the table in Starbucks. And then when the music starts, I'll tear up a pew in church because God has been that good to me. Paul says the same issue we had in Ephesus is what we have today. So I need to deconstruct and reconstruct. Here's what Paul does. He does four things in Ephesians 3. First of all, he says, number one, God has no favorites. Glory to the Lamb of God. The Jews said we're the chosen people. Jesus came toward the veil and said everybody has access. Jews said, hold up, we're the favorites. Paul says, no, the Jews and Gentiles are welcome at the cross. And what got them killed, what got Paul killed, what got Jesus killed is he said, heaven is not select. Heaven is for anybody. That regardless of your birth, your color, your nationality, your wealth, your socioeconomic status, Paul says that everybody can share in the promises of Jesus. So the same way he's deconstructing it in first century churches is the same way we need to deconstruct it here. God has no favorites. Okay. All right. I'm here. I know you live behind Costco, and that's awesome. And those of you who live on the other side of the freeway, you're just as loved by God too. Okay. All right. I know you grew up in the ghetto, but here's the issue. We as Jews or Gentiles have to be open to worshiping a God who accepts all of us who were all dead in our trespasses, who now can all be made alive in Jesus. How dare we tell somebody because we judge them that they're not good enough for Jesus? That's the Bible. I'm just... To all you Jews in the room, Gentiles can worship with you too. And to all you Gentiles in the room, you can praise God with Jews too. Because when you get to heaven, there's no black heaven, there's no white heaven, there's no CCM heaven, there's no Latin X heaven, there's no Asian heaven, there's no six-figure heaven, there's no seven-figure heaven, there's no 350-plus heaven, there's no 65-plus heaven, there is no 30 grand and under heaven. I wish I had to win ain't no EBT cards in heaven. All we know is that the name of Jesus, every knee is going to bow, God has... And Paul says to build the church, you got to see God has no favorites. He, every one of us is covered by the same blood. Okay. Then he says, number two, number two, honor. If we're going to deconstruct and reconstruct, we have to learn to honor grace. Paul says, here's the lesson. I was the least of all saints. Verse eight, Paul remembered his former life, remembered when he persecuted the church and felt that he was not worthy to even be in the society that he killed people in. Paul also realizes that I was at the top of the world, but I count Philippians, Philippians 3, I counted all as dung, cow dung, for the great worth of knowing Jesus. I think we don't do a good job in our personal lives Honoring and rejoicing about grace. Praise the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace cleansed you from the stuff you did and mercy kept you from the consequences 
of what you did. Okay. We want grace when we get caught in the court of public opinion. Okay. Because the court of public opinion is more important than restoration and reconciliation at the foot of the cross. Okay. I care more about what you think about me on Facebook than I care about the truth of what Jesus said about me. I'm in your DMs. I said, I care more about what the people on Facebook or Twitter or around the church say about me than I care about when you know what Jesus has said about you. Ain't no nappy-headed Negro with a bad wig got something to say to you that's more important than what Jesus already said over you. I love the grace of God more than what someone puts on Facebook. What will it take for you to honor the grace of God on your life? You've been graced to preach the gospel. You've been graced to sing the gospel. You've been graced to cover people in prayer. You've been graced with what God has given you. Don't slap the giver in the face because of what someone said you cannot do. Thirdly, Paul says, I'm talking in this church today. Thirdly, Paul says, it's a privilege to preach. Um, I'm talking to the associates real quick. Um, My pastor said this when he was here. Pastor Vincent L. Winjo, he said this, so powerful. He said, I don't got to do this. I get to do this. Preachers, let me challenge you. Paul says, it's an honor for God to put his hand on your life and to preach the gospel. I get to talk about Jesus as a job. Are you serious? I'm not. You don't want to do it? So let me tell you something. And preachers, let me say this. If you are waiting for me to either be sick or to be out of town, to get behind this desk, you have slapped God in the face. You better get on your blog sphere. You better start a podcast. You better get on the street. I wish I had a witness here. You better get on the street. I wish There's no reason why we're waiting and hoping that preachers show up to service because you want to read a scripture. You better get on your Facebook page. That's why I honor Reverend Dyson does. I'm going to talk about Jesus anytime I get a chance because it is a privilege for God to put his woe unto preachers who are hoping I get sick so you can talk about Jesus. Let me say this. Ain't nobody called me. Ain't nobody said nothing to me. My phone's been off. I can't even look at my phone. So if you think I'm saying this in retaliation, I'm not because I've been on my face this week. Preachers, I want you to see the privilege that God put his hand on your life to talk about Jesus. And it should not take a pastor being sick. It should not take Good Friday or watch night for you to have a sermon prepared, but you always got a word in your bosom to go to a hospital, go to a nursing home, to get out on the street, to get on a podcast, to start a blog, to start a website, to tell somebody, God put his hand on my life. Deacons, it's a privilege to be a deacon. No, this ain't some title because you got a suit. It's a privilege to be a deacon. Paul says it's a privilege to be a deacon. Nah, man, there's be no reason any member should ever get sick. And one of us, the 27 deacons we have, ain't five of us at every hospital in this city because there's only two to begin with. Ain't no reason for deacons not to be covering every, it's a privilege to have a title. How dare us slap God in the face without coming to whip some things into shape today. It's a privilege, ushers, to be an usher. I wish I had a witness in this church. It's a privilege to have a title, usher. You are the watchmen and women for the glory of God to come into the house of God that if any dysfunctional spirit comes into the door, you disband it before it gets in this. It's a privilege to be, it's a privilege to sing on a microphone. How dare we not learn our parts before Thursday? It's a privilege. Should never get a call that we don't have enough people at rehearsal. Should never get a call we don't have enough preachers on Sunday. Should never get a call we don't have enough ushers or greeters. It's a privilege to serve in God's house. Paul says, I don't got to do this. I get to because Christ made me alive in him. I should be dead, but he gave me life. And then lastly, Paul says, my name is Justin Lester, and I approve this message. Uh, I'm a shepherd. I ain't, I ain't no evangelist. I'm a shepherd. He says here, lastly, there is no good reason why any sinner should be lost. <laughs> there is no good reason why any 
sinner should be lost. If Jesus' power was limited to earth, that's one thing. Jesus didn't partially die. He fully died. And then he fully got up. <laughs> Matter of fact, he didn't get up. Here's what blesses me. He didn't get up because if he got up, that means that Jesus was just asleep. The, Lord, the Father resurrected him. <laughs> he was deader than dead. That's the only way to get up is if the Father intervened and raised him from the dead. The riches of his grace are unbounded and inexhaustible. So therefore, Tommy, there is no reason that the grace of God can't be broken down for people who are far from God. It's a sad reality that we spend more time in churches complaining about what other churches are doing than trying to reach those who are far from God. Uh-huh. If a man or woman goes to hell from Vallejo, whose fault is that? The gospel's being preached. And if they go to hell... And we haven't shared the story about where Jesus is and how lost they are, but how easy it is to encounter Jesus. Whose fault is that? How many times are we going to keep having funerals where we're worried about where we're going? I want that to be frustrating to us. I want us to get frustrated that we've had funerals this year of people where we don't know. Well, we know where they're going. We know where they're going because we didn't share the story. There's no reason why any sinner should be lost. You don't believe me. Here's how I know it's so easy in our region. Put, this, put the picture up on the screen. I want you to see this. In, in recent research that came out showed that San Francisco, Oakland, and this area, 15, we are the number nine, rated nine, number, 90, number 94 overall American most Bible-minded cities, meaning we are the sixth most biblically illiterate area in the country. I want to put this in perspective. Um, if you're saying, okay, well, Pastor, we're closer to Sacramento. Sacramento is number 79. Meaning, here's what this truth is. 15% of people in our city read their Bible once a week. I want, I want that to sink in. 15% of people in our city read their Bible once a week. In Sacramento, Stockton, Modesto, 20% of people read their Bible once a week. The national average, 25%. Now, in the most biblically literate and biblically, like, go to church every single Sunday, multiple people go, is 50% of people in Chattanooga, 49% of people in Birmingham, 48% of people in Roanoke read their Bible at least once a week. I want us to see something here. You can't tell me you don't know people who don't know Jesus. But yet, only 8% of people actually in this region go to church once a month. 8% of people go to church once a month. Paul says, all of us in this room, there is no reason any sinner in Vallejo should not know Jesus Christ. So what does Paul do? Well, he decides to pray. He says, listen, if, if we're not trusting the power that we have, the story that we have, the grace that we have, Paul says, let's pray about it. And he says, for this reason, I'm kneeling before the Father. And he prays forth four things. He prays their inner man is strengthened. He prays that Christ dwells in their heart. He prays they have the power to understand God's love. And he prays that they are filled to the fullness of God. I want you to see what he prays. He prays that since we don't trust our strength, I pray that God strengthens your inner man. Since we don't know or trust that Christ can dwell in our hearts or the strength of our hearts, he prays that Christ dwells in our heart. Since we don't grab a hold of the love of God and we have all these questions about love, Paul prays that we have the power to understand not people's love, but God's love. And then Paul prays that we are filled to the fullness with God. And then he says, I want to remind you of how long, how wide, and how deep the love of Jesus is. A love that chases you to find you where you don't want God to be. And then he says, now unto him who can do exceedingly and abundantly. In essence, stop telling God what he can't do and begin to remind yourself of what God can do. What can he do? Exceedingly and abundantly. Above all, <laughs> glory to the Lamb of God. You can be, ever begin to ask, think, or imagine. Where do I get the authority from? To the power that's already inside of you. 
to him be glory. Now, it's easy for me to close and shout right there. But Paul has this small, interesting caveat that I don't like. But it's this confidence that Paul has that God will answer every prayer with the right heart, with no limits. And he says, here's my heart. Glory, God, I want this prayer to do one thing. Verse 21, to bring glory to God in the church, in Christ Jesus forever and ever. Paul says, here's, I'm finished. The local church is the instrument that the glory of God will be shown. And the local church shows how to celebrate giving praise unto God. God says, how am I going to show myself in the earth? I'm going to use a local church. And the local church is the visible demonstration of the glory of God. And the local church is the place where people come to celebrate giving praise unto God. That, that, that's the whole sermon. That God loves us enough to give us a church to give him glory. And that every time we come here, we celebrate, we get a chance to praise God. For what, Pastor Justin? That while we were dead in sin, <laughs> he made us alive. If you need something to praise God for, I know you don't want to praise him for your job. You don't want to praise him that you woke up this morning. You don't want to praise him for that. But here's what you can praise God for every time you wake up. While we were dead, dead. He gave us life. And hear this. And then he gave you a church to give him glory. Okay. Paul says it's one thing just to pray that now unto him prayer, but, but we got to have a kingdom building ending. Paul says now unto him we're able to do exceeding abundantly. And we can pray this on our job. Now unto him we're able to do exceeding abundantly of all ask, think, or imagine according to the power that works inside of me. God, give me 300,000 a year. Paul says, hold up. Pause. Glory to God in the church, in Jesus, forever and ever. Because whenever you pray for something that's going to build the kingdom, God's answer is yes and amen. But when you pray for yourself with no focus on the kingdom, God says maybe. I'm going to say it again. Whenever you pray for something that is going to build the kingdom, God's response, yes and amen. Paul says, the reason I'm not worried about the church at Ephesus, because God's going to grow his kingdom. And I don't care if he, if he gives me the money, great. If he doesn't, great, because God's going to get this thing done. I want kingdom to grow. And in the midst of kingdom, Matthew 6 and 33, if I seek the kingdom first, all the resources I need to make kingdom happen, God's going to give it. And this is where we miss it. Because a, that church is a kingdom mindset. I want God so bad, I will sacrifice what I want at the expense of what God needs. Because if you're not seeking God's face, you are not hearing from God's mouth. Okay. <laughs> God reveals God's self. And so if you're not seeking the face of God, you're hearing some stuff. It just ain't coming from his mouth. Because of that church mentality builds community. Of that church mentality builds what God wants. Of that church mentality is authentic. Of that church mentality doesn't explain themselves. Of that church mentality doesn't apologize for what God reveals. Of that church mentality owns the grace of God on their life. Of that church mentality trusts the truth of God's power in their history. Of that church mentality knows that if God has us here for 75 years, we've got something else to do. Of that church mentality knows when you need to get in the way of that church mentality knows when you've got to get out of the way of that church mentality doesn't let the petty lead them because God didn't call me to be petty God called me to be prosperous of that church mentality wants to see unsaved people saved of that church mentality gets frustrated when nobody joins the church a that church mentality looks for reasons to come and pray at the altar of that church mentality doesn't say pastor we pray too much of that church mentality 
mentality says, I can't wait for the doors to be open to walk the aisle. Of that church mentality admits their sin with joy because I have grace. Of that church mentality doesn't want to be the pastor's favorite because I want to be God's child. And I don't care if the pastor likes me or not. I'm not serving the pastor. I'm, I wish I had a witness. I'm serving God. And I don't, I'm not here so Justin likes me. I'm here so God says, well done. Of that church mentality wants to be whole, wants to be healed, wants to be fruitful, wants to be unique, wants to be different, wants to be themselves. I, we are that church because God has put his hand on us. Being that church is a place where we desire for God to be. A church that owns the truth of their story. And let me be honest right here. I'm talking this morning. A that church mentality honors this truth, Deacon Natalie, that trauma has happened here. Yep. I can tell you the pews. I can tell you the aisle. But here's what it also says. A that church mentality also recognizes that breakthrough happens here. And don't hear me. Don't you let trauma outweigh the breakthrough. Because the same God that was here when there was trauma is the same God that gave you breakthrough. Of that church mentality says, yes, there's been church hurt and there's been church pain in this church. And there's been healing, there's been reconciliation, there's been forgiveness, there's been restoration. There's, I wish I had a witness here. And the same God that had the authority to forgive is the same God that can heal your church hurt too. And if we're going to be that church, it means that I'm saying, God, if you healed us before, you can heal us again because we are that church because we acknowledge that though we slay ourselves, I trust in God and my trust is not in man my trust is in the God who built this church upon this rock I'll build my church and church hurt and trauma will not prevail against it so do you really want to be that church do you really want to be that church do you really want to see God work in a way that God has never worked before? Do we really want to see God do things we've never seen before? Because of that church says, God, this is yours, and whatever you want to do, do it. We can dumb a that church mindset down to whatever we want to dumb it down to, but here's the issue. I don't think we question God's ability because we know there are times we pray to not build the kingdom, but to build our kingdom. God, give me the job, not so that I can serve you at it. Give me the job because you know I've been working so hard. God, give me a relationship, not because I'm going to honor you and be fruitful to multiply. Just give me a relationship because I'm tired of being single. God, give me more money because you know, like, I've been serving. And, like, just give me, like, give me, give me, give me, give me, give me. And, and God would do it, but he knows your heart if he gave it. And if he gave you what you prayed for, he lose you. So God says no, not because he doesn't like you, but because he knows he'll lose you. That's why intercession and prayer. You know, it's amazing to me that I've been told to stop prayer so many times. We prayer before worship, Pastor. Why do we got to pray so much? Why do we got to have prayer before worship? We, we, y'all were eating at Big Bear Diner with no mask on for ages in the middle of COVID. When we prayed together, all of a sudden, Pastor, you're going to get everybody infected in prayer time? Y'all out here kissing folk on the mouth at every event. But then when it's time to pray, Pastor Justin, you're trying to get people sick. When it's time to be on the altar, you're trying to get people sick. I've been told to close down the church over prayer. That's demonic. I ain't scared of none of y'all. That's demonic. We, we don't, you don't want me to shut down rehearsal. You don't want me to shut down Bible study. You don't want me to shut down ministry meetings, but shut down prayer. Because the only way we're going to move forward is if we hear from the one who built this. The world can't keep up with what God says, but the world can keep up with what man says. So when we pray, we are making sure we are in alignment 
So people get mad. Henriette, Deaconess Henrietta is walking the house. Why is she praying so much? Because she wants to make sure that we are aligned with what God has said. Why are we having 31 days of prayer? I want to be aligned with what God has said because building Justin's kingdom will be destroyed. But building God's kingdom is a kingdom that never ends. So we are that church because we're filled with that father. <laughs> and when you see, hear me, that you are that one, you know that a church full of those people can be that church. So I want you to know this. Because God's hands on you, you are that father. You are that mother. You are that business person. You are that deacon. You are that trustee. You are that individual. You got that energy. But when your focus is not on the kingdom, your focus is on yourself. Prayer then changes your focus, Paul says, because prayer does not put you on God's agenda. Prayer shows you God's agenda. So we are that church because we are filled with those people, those mothers who serve diligently to their children to know the gospel, those fathers who are on their faces for their children. We are filled with that ex-con who forgave themselves, that formerly addicted person who put down the needle, that grandmother who's honest with her story. And all of our thatness makes us that church. So I took a DNA test and found out we are 100% that church because you are that person because God put his hand over your that head and your that heart to make you what God needs you to be. So no church is going to be the same. We can learn from others. I don't want to be another church. I want to be friendship. I want to be a friendship who empties homes. I want to be a friendship who gets uncomfortable with seeing people sell drugs across the street from the church. I want to be a friendship that doesn't judge them but has to put the needle on the altar. I want to be a church. It goes down and gets uncomfortable with prostitution in our city. And if the police won't do anything about it, the church says we will. I want to be a church where, where business developers don't come in and buy up all the land from us, but the church buys the land so that our people have a place to live. I want to be a church where we don't get comfortable with the homeless around us, but we destroy the tent cities and build God's city so they have a place to live. I want to be a church where we're not worried about whether or not millennials are going to church. We are the church millennials come to. I want to be a church where boomers are not ostracized because they don't know how to use a phone, but Gen Z teaches them how to use their phone. I want to be a church that can sing any song at any moment to reveal God's heart. I love being that church. That's it. So Paul says, well, how do you do it? I'm finished. I didn't realize this was going to be this long. I'm finished. My energy's almost spent, so let me finish here. Paul says, if we're going to be that church, number one, you got to be focused. Someone say focus. You got to be focused. What was the focus Paul said? Look what he says, verse 21. Glory to God. Number one, Paul says, all I want you to be focused on is the glory of God. That's it. That's why I'm so beautiful. We sung the song, For Your Glory, this morning. Paul says something so basic, but the only thing that we ought to be focused on in this church is the glory of God. It's a very simple business principle. Keep the main thing the main thing. Paul says the main thing for the church is the glory of God. Any church who doesn't want the glory of God needs to be closed down because the presence of God Hallelujah to the Lamb of God. God privileges us with a glimpse of his face. And whenever you desire, don't desire his face, you've missed out on what he built. Why is it so important? The entirety of the book of Ephesians, Paul says, God has selected us to be vessels that carry his glory. Paul says, don't you pray to get something. Pray that God uses you to get glory. Because if, hallelujah, if God's going to use you to get glory, God's going to put you at tables you ain't qualified to be at. 
Hallelujah. God's going to move you to cities that you don't have the resume to keep you in because God is getting, he knows he can get glory Okay, Ephesians 1 and 12, we were predestined according to the one who makes things work that we might be for the praise of his glory. Ephesians 1 and 14, the Holy Spirit makes a gent deposit guaranteeing your inheritance for the praise of his glory. Ephesians 2 and 8, my sufferings are for you to see God's glory. If you come here looking to see the glory, God's going to get glory. Because if you keep God's glory as the main thing, you will be God's main thing. I wonder what your job would be like on Monday, if you walked in there and said, God, you're going to get glory here today. How different would your marriage be? God, you're going to get glory in my marriage today. How different would your money be? God, you're going to get glory in my money. You're going to get glory in my body. You're going to get glory with my children. You're going to get glory in my mind. You're going to get glory when I worship. That's why the songwriter said, oh, what peace we often forfeit. And oh, what needless pains we bear because we don't carry every Everything to God. I have anybody in the building who can say, God, in this season, get some glory out of me. Get some glory through me. Use me to build your kingdom because I want to see you get glory. So do you want to step on scorpions? God, use me to get your glory. Do you want to see miracles, signs, and wonders? God, use me to be a vessel of your glory. Do you want to see marriages mended and divorce court closed down in Vallejo? God, use me. I wish I had a witness here to get your glory. Do you want to see children come home? God, use me to get glory because the reason I'm here today, it was Jesus, only Jesus, using me to bring glory into this world. So I'm that church if I'm focused, and I'm that church if we are consistent and creative. Be consistent and be creative. Y'all can be seated. Y'all scaring me. Be consistent and be creative. I'm finishing a book called The Gospel According to Starbucks. Um, it's a beautiful book by one of my favorite writers named Leonard Sweet. Leonard Sweet said, what makes Starbucks so successful is not because they reinvented the cup of coffee, but because no matter where you go in the country, Starbucks is consistent. You know what you're going to get when you walk into Starbucks. Y'all go in there spending $17 on a venti whipped Caramel macchiato, caramel drizzle, all up in it, nuts on top. Give me them little sugar things right on top of it as well. Put a straw in it, double, double whip it, if you will, because the Lord is in his holy temple. Let's all his hearth be quiet. And if you go to Vallejo, you can get your double whipped, whatever, caramel macchiato, $17 drink. And if you go to Seattle, you get the same old drink. <laughs> you go to Milwaukee, same old drink. Go to Houston, same old drink, because Starbucks is consistent. The author argued the reason so many churches fail is because Jesus isn't consistently shown when people show up to their churches. When people show up, they don't know if they're going to get Jesus. Oh, you know you've been there. Who preaching? I mean, okay, listen, Pastor Justin 6, if you come back next week, well, you don't look back next week, because so you come back in two weeks, then, like, his voice will be better. He'll do all that other stuff, and, uh, you know, eh, you know, but we don't know what we're going to get. Um, who's singing? Because, you know, okay, my favorite singer ain't here today, so if you just show up a couple weeks from now, my favorite singer will be back, or who cooking after church next week? Because, you know, if so-and-so ain't cooking, I don't want it, but if they are cooking, then I'll stay after, but if not, then come back, come back later. We probably got another event. I'll let you know. Um, because we, we, we get our focus on everything but Jesus. Everything else is the focus of worship but Jesus. Paul says, glory to God in the church and in Christ Jesus. When, Paul, forever, for every generation. Terry Tippis Williams said, the eyes of the future are looking back at us, praying for us that their paths will be easy. When you think about friendship in 2060, are we giving them an easy path for great success? We can be that church and we are knowing that our children's children's children will build a foundation on one thing, 
consistently, creatively giving God glory. God used Paul to reach rejected Gentiles because not only did Paul experience rejection, but Paul says, I also was a rejecter. And who I am today is a combination of who I was and who God is calling me to be. So what does it mean for us? Friendship, God has called us to reach de-churched, unchurched, non-church people. People who lost their faith in God because something happened in church. You know why? Because all of us got a story of stuff that's happened in church. And God has healed you from what has happened in church. I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait for y'all to come back with me today. That's de-church people, people who have deprogrammed themselves from Jesus because of trauma that's happened in church. And you're here today after trauma that has happened in church. God did not forget it. He says, now you better go use it. Because the same, I wish I had a witness in here. This, this is pastoring. The same way God restored your heart to trust him in this place is the same way you can go reach people who have ran away from Jesus because of stuff that's happened in church and tell them you can be safe at friendship. And the church said amen. I'm talking today. God says we're called to reach families. Why? Because look around the church. We're full of families. Your family is good enough to be here. And so was the family that just moved to Vallejo. I wish I had a witness here. Your family's good enough to be here, along with the family that just moved to Vallejo, that's looking for a safe environment to use their gifts. Because Paul says, I want you to look at where you've been. Use the tools that we have learned in 75 years to propel us for another 75. God knows he put us where he put us. God knows he gave us all this land. God knows we're near downtown. God knows what, what the drugs that move around us. God knows that we have prostitution and drugs around six blocks of our church. What are we going to do to make sure that the taste is out of all those mouths? God knows he has equipped people in this church with love for education. God knows what he put here. It doesn't mean we don't care about the past. You, but you can't build the future if you're living in the past. Nostalgia is a great place to visit. It's a terrible place to live. You build the future with the principles of the past. There's something that God taught us yesterday that's going to make tomorrow beyond our wildest imagination. Because change is God's signature. How do I know the Bible says that God stepped out on nothing and created everything? And every day, God created. Every day, God created. Because change is the way that God signs something. So I'm not changing things because I'm mad at anybody. We're changing things because God is putting his signature on this part of our history of the church. How do I know it's true? How do I know friendship changed? Because that used to be our old sanctuary. And then Pastor Broadfoot came along. And God began to sign on the church. And then he built this sanctuary. Then pastors and leaders came along and began to put their signature on the church and began to change the seats and change the pulpit. So now here I come along. I'm not frustrated at anybody. I'm just following through because we were in that sanctuary. Now we're in this sanctuary. And Lord knows what God is going to expand because God has blessed us with his signature. And I don't want God to stop signing off on our future. So how do I know it's okay? You know, there's this, there's, I get people asking me all the time, Pastor Justin, Pastor Justin, can you help me with resume building? Because I, I don't do a work experience resume. I do a values-based and work-based, uh, sorry, um, task-based resume. And so I've been helping some people with their resumes. But what, one practice I have, I love leadership. One practice I have in resume building is before I help you write your resume, I force you to sit down and read your resume out loud. I want you to hear how amazing you are. So you be, people begin to read their resume. My name is so-and-so, and I started working here, I started doing this, and they begin to cry because have you taken a chance to see everything you've done in your life? Friendship, when's the last time you looked at friendship's resume? Look at what God has done in our lives. Look at the hand of God on this church. 
Look at the hand of God in this community. When's the last time you sat and just read friendship's resume? Not the trauma, not the pain, not the negativity, not the frustration, not the pastors who were put out, not the pastors who left, not the pastors who traumatized you. But when you sat and looked at, man, look at the amount of children we've baptized over the course of 75 years. Look at the amount of people that we've buried but left money to the church over 75 years. Look at the buildings we've expanded. Look at the land that we've acquired. Look at the change we've made at a city and state level. Look at the people who've had left indelible marks. Look at the streets that have been named, the buildings that have been named after members of our church. When's the last time you read our resume and then said, you know what? I'm going to leave some room so that God can add more to my resume. I want God to add more buildings and more land and more people and more future because here's what God does. When you read your resume, you see that God's hand was in the beginning and his hand is where you are right now. And as you grab your pen to add more, God says, let me show you that I can do exceedingly and abundantly of all you can ask, think, or imagine. That's what I want us to do in the 75 years. Read Friendship's resume and then leave some room for God to add some new experiences. Leave some room for God to add some new statistics. Leave some room for God to add some new references. Leave some room for God to add a new story and chapter because God can do exceedingly and abundantly above all you can ask, think, or imagine. Every head is bowed, every eye is closed. I want you to ask God this morning, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? What in this text did God find in your heart? What did he prick in your heart? How's your prayer life? Is God a part of fully of your prayer life? How have you been praying for the local church? Not for me, but how have you been praying for the church? What ministry, hear me, is God calling you to create to reach those who are far from God in our city? I want you to listen for that. The reason I haven't added new ministry leaders to anything is because we're in a period of restructuring and creation. What ministry is God calling you to create? I want you to hear God on that. Then I want you to email me this week so we can engage in it. 85% of people in our community don't read their Bibles once a week. What ministry is God calling you to so we can change that statistic? We are that church because you are that leader. You are that mother. You are that father. You are that, you are that business owner. You are that friend. You are that one. God is calling us to make Satan frustrated that he has no dominion in this city. I'm going to open this altar for people who won't desire prayer today. I'm going to open this altar for those of you who want to come forward for prayer. I'm going to open this altar for those of you who are saying, Pastor, God is calling me. I'm struggling with my gifting. I'm struggling with what God is calling me to do. I'm struggling with what God needs from me. And I'm opening this altar for you to come forward today. To, Paul says, for this reason, I knelt before the Father. I challenge you to get on your knees this morning. That God would stir up the gift inside of you. Come on. Thank you for listening to the FNBC podcast. We pray the word of God reached you where you are to bring you where God needs you to be. If you're listening to this today, you don't have a relationship with Christ. We want to take a moment to bring you through the ABCs of salvation. ABCs of salvation are simply admit, believe, confess, and demonstrate. And then we'll pray the prayer of salvation. Are you ready? First of all, we admit. We admit that we are sinners. We admit that we are sinners. That means I've done something or I am someone who's far from God. Sin is not this whole thing of sex, drugs, and alcohol only. Sin is literally saying, this is what has distanced me from the love of Christ. Today, I'm admitting that I've distanced myself from Christ's love, and I want Christ's love in my life. Then number two, I admit that I believe. I believe in Christ. I believe that Christ can cleanse me of all unrighteousness and all of the sin in my life. And if you believe that, then thirdly, we confess. We confess our need for God. The writer of Romans tells us we confess with our mouth and believe in our hearts the Lord Jesus, we are saved. 
And today, if that's you confessing that, we are excited for you. And lastly, you demonstrate that. You demonstrate that the act of baptism and becoming a part of a local church to grow and bloom and blossom to all God's called you to be. Allow me to pray for you if you are going down the steps of salvation. Just simply repeat after me. Say, God, I come in Jesus' name. I admit I'm a sinner. I believe that you are God. I confess my need for you in my life. And today, I will demonstrate that by giving my life over to you. Use me in your service, and I will be there with you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm so excited. If you prayed that prayer for the very first time, it's called the Prayer of Salvation. We would love for you to be a part of the work that God is doing wherever you are. If you're in California, we'd love for you to be a part of Friendship After Church. And if you're across the country, we'd love for you to be a part of whatever church you're a part of. No matter where you are, no matter what you do, we want you to be saved and be connected to the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're interested in learning more about friendship, go to our website, befnbc.org. You can give us a call at 707-648-2005 or find us online at BEFNBC um, on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook and TikTok. Listen, have an amazing day. Know this, that God has smiled on you. You are somebody. Now go live into who you are. Have a great day.